You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. According to a new study, the heaviest item in the world is the Great Wall of China, weighing in at 116 billion pounds. Wow! When the wall looked at the scale, it must have shit bricks. Welcome back to VSP with Steve Patterson. I'm still Steve Patterson. This week, our featured guest is Tarek Haddad, an incredible 26-year-old Syrian refugee who now calls Antigonish, Nova Scotia home. Tarek and his family turned tragedy into opportunity when they decided to spread their family's mission of creating peace through chocolate with their chocolate company, Peace by Chocolate. Tarek's got nothing to apologize for, and neither does VSP contributor Jeremy Woodcock, but Canadian baseball player Joey Votto did, so Jeremy takes a sorry look at that sorry. And I'll deliver an audio letter to an actual terrible person with the help of my actual wonderful friend, comedian Martha Chavez. Plus, we'll share a very important public service announcement about your local pot dealer. But first, here's a few stories from around the world that we think should be made fun of. Former Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper told an audience at Stanford Business School that he, quote, could still easily be the leader of his party if he wanted to, and that he, quote, could have wielded more power when he was PM if he wanted to, which presumably prompted two questions from the American crowd. One, why didn't you want to? And two, who are you again? Israel sent humanitarian aid to the Gaza Strip, which makes as much sense as Tokyo receiving humanitarian aid from Godzilla. A new survey from 24-7 Wall Street has found that Green Bay, Wisconsin is the drunkest city in the United States. The city responded by saying, You don't know me. Two men who were climbing Mount Everest without the proper permits may be banned from the mountain for the next 10 years, which is not really a punishment once you've just climbed Mount Everest. And finally, a man won $5 million in a lottery last week, making it the fourth time he's won big in the California State Lottery. He says he's finally won enough money that he can quit his job as the California State Lottery number-picking guy. Last week, Canadian baseball player Joey Votto of the Cincinnati Reds upset Canadian baseball fans when he said in an interview that he cares almost not at all about Baseball Canada And if that offends people, he, quote, really couldn't give a rat's ass. All right, Joey, let's leave ballpark hot dogs out of this, okay? He immediately apologized for his comments, and frankly, I don't know what to say about this. I mean, it's not like a Canadian to almost not care about something. But on the other hand, it is absolutely like a Canadian to apologize profusely. And while I care completely not at all what Joey Votto has to say, I found someone who does sort of. So, here to talk about this a little more is our own VSP apology expert, Jeremy Woodcock. Hi, Steve. Sorry. Uh, Well, it is pretty astounding to have a Canadian say these kind of things, but I'm even more astounded by his apology, this horrible culture of constant apologies we have in Canada. Could anything be more Canadian? Sorry, that's from Friends. Matthew Perry, also Canadian. It was a little... (laughs) 
You don't need to apologize, okay, okay? During, during your apology segment. Let me give you this quote. This is what he said about his own comments. Joey Votto, you know, a couple days down the road, heard it, knew people were upset. He said that his comments came from an absolutely silly, short-sighted, selfish place. What, Cincinnati? Sorry. Oh. I, uh, no. <laughs> you know, Even with that, I don't think he vought to apologize. So okay. All right. Puns is, is a whole different show, Jeremy. Now, you don't think he should have apologized at all? Uh, no way. We've got a reputation that needs changing. Do you know Canadians have been apologizing all through history? Here's an interesting fact. Did you know that Frederick Banting apologized for discovering insulin? I did not know that. Is that true? Um, I don't think so. I think I lied. I'm sorry. But I lied to make an important point, and that is Canadian history is too full of apologies. Do you know sorry is the first word that Alexander Graham Bell said on the first telephone call? I thought it was hello, wasn't it? I'm sorry. I didn't research this. You're probably right. But you know what? I'm going to go research this now. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, that was a lie, too. I'm actually, Steve, I'm going to actually go play my favorite board game. Can you guess what that's called as a Canadian? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Is yeah. it, it's probably sorry. No, it's cranium. It joins together the best facets of a lot of games. For that, I will not apologize, and neither should they. And Joey Vought to not... I'm okay. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy Woodcock. And sorry, everyone else, that you had to hear this. And now... Let's take a moment for a very important public service announcement. Pot dealers once thrived all across our country, but with the upcoming legalization of marijuana, these hardworking entrepreneurs may soon be out of business. But the real tragedy? It will also eliminate the friends these pot dealers thought they had. Take Jeff from Grand Prairie. Hi, I'm Jeff from Grand Prairie. Jeff just recently picked up playing bass. People come by to get weed and he plays bass for them. He's been getting a lot of positive feedback. They say things like, Yeah, um, I wish I could hear more of that, Jeff, but I'm kind of in a hurry. But when cannabis becomes legal, things will be different. Jeff will still play his bass, but nobody will get to hear it. Well, my neighbors will still hear it, but they don't get it. For just the cost of a cup of coffee a day, we can pay someone to listen to Jeff play bass. Or talk to him about Quentin Tarantino movies. You probably know that Tarantino is the greatest director of all time, but do you know why he's the greatest director of all time? Because Jeff knows. And there are thousands of other pot dealers just like Jeff who are going to need someone to talk to about things like Simpsons trivia or chemtrails. I also know who would win in a fight between Batman and Darth Vader. Yeah, I wish I could hear more about that, Jeff, but I'm, I'm really in a hurry. Cool, cool. To find out how you can help support the soon-to-be-unemployed and friendless pot dealers of Canada, sign up today at the website dealingwithfeelings.ca. That's dealingwithfeelings.ca. The website's not up yet, but uh, I'm working on it. Yeah, sure you are, buddy. Sure you are. And now, Steve Patterson reads a letter he wrote, but didn't know where to send. This week I'm going to try something a little new. I'm writing a letter to an actual person, the New York racist lawyer Aaron Schlossberg, and I've got the help of my beautiful, hilarious Latina friend, Martha Chavez. Hey! Hey! All right. Dear racist lawyer Aaron Schlossberg... 
Hola, abogado racista Aaron Schlossberg. So, you want to call immigration on people and have them kicked out of your country for speaking Spanish in Manhattan, eh? Así que quieres llamar a la migra para que corran de tu país a la gente que habla español en Manhattan, ah? Well, hope you've got a good cell phone plan then, because you're going to have to make a lot of calls. Bueno, pues ojalá que tengas un excelente plan telefónico, porque vas a tener que hacer muchísimas llamadas. New York City is the largest Hispanic-speaking city in the United States, with over 2.3 million Latinos proudly listed on the last census and many others who list Spanish as a second language. Según el censo, la ciudad de Nueva York es donde más se habla el español en los Estados Unidos, con más de 2.3 millones de orgullosos hispanohablantes, sumando a estos los miles que en el censo dicen que el español es su segundo idioma. Come to think of it, you list yourself as fluent in Spanish on your law firm's website, and presumably on your Plenty of Racists dating profile, too. Y a propósito, en tu sitio web tú dices que hablas el español con fluidez, lo que probablemente también dices en tu perfil de citas, Encuentros Racistas. So when you say Spanish-speaking people should be kicked out of America, you mean you should be kicked out too, right? Por lo tanto, cuando tú dices que las personas de habla hispana deberían de ser expulsadas de América, ¿será que tú también tendrás que ser expulsado, verdad? And by the way, with a last name like Schlossberg, you might want to think twice before calling an overzealous immigration department, lest you give them any new horrible ideas to revive old horrible ideas. Y por cierto, con un apellido como Schlossberg, sería mejor que pensaras muy bien antes de llamar a la migra. No vaya a ser que le des nuevas horribles ideas de cómo implementar viejas horribles ideas. Yet still, if you lose everything over this erron, I'm sure the hard-working Hispanics of New York will still willingly help you, because Latinos are famous for love, not hate. Pero a pesar de todo, te garantizo que si todo lo pierdes, estoy seguro que los hispanos de Nueva York te van a ayudar a salir adelante, porque los latinos son famosos por amar. No por odiar, aunque a vos ni siquiera tu mamá te querría. Ojalá que te vaya bien, que te pase un carro, que te muerde un perro, que te pase el tren. I don't think Martha literally translated what I wanted her to do there, but it was still beautiful. I felt the passion, and I'm sure it would be equally beautiful in French. Just two of the many languages that we happily speak here in Canada. No estoy seguro de que Marta me tradujo correctamente, pero sonó lindo en español, como sonaría lindo en francés y en cualquiera de los idiomas que se hablan aquí en el Canadá. Merci, Montabarnouche. I know that wasn't the literal translation. Adios, amigo. Adios, come mierda. I'm Steve Patterson. And I am Marta Chavez. Yeah. Now it's time for this week's guest, Tarek Haddad. And I can't wait to hear Tarek's story. Tarek and his family lost everything when their home and chocolate factory in Damascus, Syria, was bombed in a 2012 air raid. It's an incredible story of overcoming adversity and rebuilding your life since they relocated to Antigonish, Nova Scotia. And it's a tad ironic that I was unable to interview Tarek because of my own adversity. I pinched a nerve in my back and couldn't move for a week. Thank God VSP's own Diana Francis took the interview reins that I couldn't even hand to her because I had no grip in my left hand. But here's a great interview with Tara Haddad and Diana Francis. So the first thing I want to ask you, Tarek, is your name 
Tarek, I understand that there's a little bit of a story behind it. Right. My father and my mother, they were fighting, you know, when I was born about what to call me. <laughs> and okay. there's no one in my family, like, you know, they were called Tarek. The exact meaning in Arabic is the one who knocks on doors in night and the other one is the sharp star in night. Now, considering one of the meanings is someone who knocks on doors right. you could have been a salesman <laughs> you know i mean the literal meaning exactly is knocking on doors but really i feel it is uh, knocking on opportunities like you know really hitting the ways of lives that you would like to live i started with medicine and i turned into different kind of stuff in my life so i really knocked on so many opportunities and so many doors so far which i'm happy with like you know for a person at my age i'm very greatly pleased about the opportunities and the chance that I got so far. Well, that's a great segue into talking about your life and how you have turned such adversity into these amazing opportunities. Right. So take us back to Syria when your family was there. And, and you've talked about this before in some of your TED Talks and some of your interviews, that what we see in North America of Syria is not the Syria that you see. So tell us a little bit about what you remember about Syria and Damascus right, and, and, right. and how much you loved it. The most upsetting and saddening thing for me when, when you know, when you Google about Syria right now and you find out about the horrible things that they are happening in the last like five or six years in the country. But really Syria is not all about that. Um, Damascus is about culture, about civilization. Uh, Syria is all about exporting uh, the written language to the whole world. And and Syria is about growing up peacefully in a country and living with your family. It's about really all about the contributions to the whole world and to the whole humanity. So this is very saddening for me when you go on Google now and you, you find out all about like the war, the crisis, the blood, the victims, the martyrs, uh, the bombs, the airstrikes. Like, you know, these are the key words that they are now connected to the country and moreover about refugees, which became mm -hmm. really a serious crisis. Syrians are very peaceful, are very hardworking people, are very smart, intelligent, including me. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> So tell me a little bit about your your father's business before the war started. It was very interesting when my father, he graduated as civil engineer and he came back home and he told my grandmother that he's no longer really passionate about it. Like he doesn't want to be a civil engineer. Mm, that because, must have been a tough thing for her to hear. Yeah, I mean, he graduated, he studied, but... At the end of the day, you know, when he came back and he said, you know, he would not have an impact by being a civil engineer. He said, well, there are tons of, of civil engineers out there and I'm really not going to do something special with it. So they went a week after that, they went to um, a wedding of my cousin. And my father, he was looking in the audience and he was really fascinated that um, at the wedding, everybody like, you know, was kind of like normal, you know, acting normally until like they started serving like special type of chocolate on the tables. And he saw that the mood on the tables changed very fast after people started tasting the chocolate. He said, and changed for the people. He, he just saw smiles. People turned into like, you know, uh, happy faces and, you know, everything changed basically. Like, you know, so and people who were like sharing chocolate with each other, they were opening connections, you know, starting conversations. He loved it. So when he came back home, he told my grandmother that he no longer wants to be civil engineer, but he wants to be a chocolatier, wow. which is because he said that nobody eats chocolate will be sad. Everybody eats chocolate will be happy. So he turned from civil engineer to um, a full entrepreneur in the home kitchen 
after he got permission from my grandmother. Actually, the, the interesting level reached in 2002 when my father opened a very huge chocolate factory. It was the second largest chocolate factory in the Middle East. Wow. So the business had great reputation in the Middle East. Thousands of employees within the factory and the distribution. It's not easy, like, you know, to build that kind of chocolate empire mm -hmm. within, like, you know, 15 years. And then must have started. been so devastating to lose it all so fast. Right. In 2002, 11 actually that's when uh, it all started people they started asking in the middle east for kind of reforms in the governments for the corruption you know they needed some fixations to end up some uh, lack of freedom and human rights in the middle east countries that all started in egypt so after that it reached syria and people they started asking we need some kind of freedom really in the country and everybody was trying to have the movement going in the peaceful direction and that's exactly how it started but you know the violent reaction to the movements and to the protests was shifting the whole thing towards more violence and that violence has really taken over the narrative of syria as well right circling back to what we were originally talking about that's, that's right. become the story of syria and the, the factory got bombed the factory uh, got bombed my father was working that day in the factory with all the employees and they got a warning to leave the factory and my father left and after 10 minutes he saw like a helicopter came to the area and bombed he didn't know where did the explosion happen but after one day he saw the pictures on the news the whole factory five floors massive you know <sighs> the second largest chocolate factory was on ground like nothing left exactly nothing and he was shocked like he was speechless for like three days he was saying everything has gone Everything has gone. Thanks God that like no one got injured, you know, or or died. But after one week, my cousin, he was in Damascus. He he uh, died. Me and my brothers, you know, we were almost killed by an explosion that had been near us. So I carried my brother. I ran into the house and I said to my family, "It's not time to do business. It's not time for me to do medicine. It's time to survive." <laughs> What's amazing to me is that despite all of this adversity, despite losing the closeness of family, despite losing the house, despite losing the factory, having to spend three years in a refugee camp, coming to Canada, you've never lost that spirit of still being able to move forward and still being able to create opportunities. Right. And I certainly don't want to gloss over the, the <laughs> refugee camp, but I also, I, I do want to talk about the, the amazing things that you have done and your family have done since coming to Canada. So you spend three years in a refugee camp and then you find out you're coming to Canada. Right. And then you find out you're going to Nova Scotia <laughs> in the winter. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't <laughs> remind me. Okay. Don't remind me. It's painful in memories. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm, like... I'm from BC. You're from BC. I'm from okay. BC very mild climate okay. i can barely handle an ontario winter okay. what was it like when you found out that that's where you were going to be going well you know i mean the whole country for us in the middle east has a very bad reputation about the weather like you know when we decided to come to canada um it was funny when i came back home and my family were waiting for me and they opened the doors i said where are we traveling i said well the embassy called me and my father said which embassy i said we will travel to a very far country he said where to the united states i said no he said to sweden i said no like he said to china i said no like he tried <laughs> all the other countries but not canada i'm not sure why but you know my family were afraid to travel to uh, 
a very cold country and that's how I told them when we traveled to Canada. Is that the only thing that, like, what did you and your family know about Canada? In 2008, I was in a bus in Damascus and there was a man, he looked like, you know, confused and he was afraid to speak because, you know, uh, he, he speaks English and that man was terrified to speak English in Damascus because for some English speakers, they feel that if they speak English, people, they would say that they are like spies or something. So he was afraid he was sitting beside me and then I realized that he's Canadian. He was Canadian, he lost his passport, he <laughs> lost his papers. So we kept him in our house for around a week until uh, um, some of my friends, they found his wallet with all you know the papers and the passports after one week in a place that he visited, like a public place, a wow. public garden. And then, uh, you know, he stayed in our house for one full week. He was talking to me. He told me so many great things about the country. He didn't speak anything about the weather, though. Like, you know, everything <laughs> he spoke about is about, you know, how Canada is a peaceful country, how everybody is, is from different places, you know. I really didn't realize that we welcomed a Canadian in our house eight years ago and then we were welcomed by a Canadian community yeah. that we didn't know as well. So. Have you contacted, did you keep in touch with I this guy? I didn't actually, I didn't keep in contact. I'm, I'm still trying. His, do you remember what I'm his name still, is? No, actually, I'm still just like trying to figure out who that person was. I think that a friend of mine, he's trying, that who came to translate for us, yeah. he kept like some information of him. So I was always trying, I was trying always to, to find out. He was working on um, uh, like in the news field, in the media, so he was taking some like, you know, doing some reports from, from the Middle East to some American media. Do you I remember where he was from? Like, what town he was he from? He was from Saskatchewan. He was from Saskatchewan. So he's he was, in the media from Saskatchewan. So right. if you're listening to this podcast <laughs> and you were taken in by a lovely Syrian family in 2008, Reach please contact us and we will put you in touch. How great would that be? <laughs> that would be amazing. If we could make that happen. Yeah, that would be And amazing. you could just ply him with chocolate. Yeah, yeah, we would give him tons of chocolate. Which is me segueing <laughs> to where... So you, you end up with your family, you right. were in Nova Scotia. I was in Toronto uh, when I landed here and they told me you will travel to Halifax. And I said, what's Halifax? I said, I want to stay in Canada. And, and <laughs> Halifax can't possibly be in Canada. I'm looking at a map that does not seem right. I didn't see it on the map either. Like, you know, I, I had no idea that this country really goes as far as the Atlantic. Uh, I landed in Halifax, people from the town called Antigonish. You know, moving from Damascus, a city of millions and millions of people to a, a town of 4,000 people was a big transition at the first place. But at the same time, it gives you the real sense of community. And the, it was a community group that sponsored you, is right. that correct? That sponsored you and your family. Right. So that community group was called SAVE. That stands for City Antigonish Families Embrace. What happened in Antigonish in 2015, there was... All of the Canadians, they were shocked by the picture of Alan Kurdi, who was who washed up on the Turkish shores, and uh, they wanted to help. So the you know the people in the community, the community leaders, from all different experiences, they came together and formed this group that's called Save. I arrived in Antigonish. I found everything ready, really, for my family to be settled in the community. Like from all the sides of the life that we needed to start. Everybody was there ready to help. And we, I found a warm house ready, uh, you know, to... Yeah, they warm them up. We, we do warm up the houses That's before great. we Thank bring you. people Thank in. Thank you so much, you're, guys. You're welcome. Yeah, you, you do that great. <laughs> uh, and then my mother, she was asking me before she came, she said, can you send me some pictures from Antigonish? And I said to her, 
I'm not going to send you pictures of Indian Ocean in January. And <laughs> <laughs> so what I did is I went on Google and I googled Indian Ocean in the summer, and I downloaded you know beautiful pictures of the town in the summer. You know, it was green, vivid. You know, uh, uh, tourists. That's so you tricked your mother. Is what I you're tricked, you tricked actually, your yeah. mother. <laughs> so she came. She landed in on January seventh, and she was looking out of the window. She was seeing like you know half a meter snow there, and she was seeing where is the green <laughs> in the pictures. <laughs> Interesting fact: when my father and my family landed in, in in Halifax, there was a CBC interview my father and I did. A CBC reporter was asking him, "What do you want to work in Canada? What are you going to do?" And he said, "Well." You know, maybe in 10 years, we'll find the opportunity to open a, a small chocolate factory again. He had no idea that it would be only two months that he would start making chocolate again. The same way he started in Damascus, in, in the home his, kitchen. In his kitchen. Exactly. You know, after 30 years, he did the exact same thing. But that time in Antigonish, not in Damascus. I felt that I should definitely give back to the community the same thing that they gave to me, which is showing kindness and filling the gaps, which is mainly was the jobs, like offering jobs. And how many jobs does Peace by Chocolate uh, since we started, people? like in uh, 2016 till now, we have offered more than 38 job positions. In, and in, in a the, community of 4,000, that's, that's right. a pretty big employer. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's still like, you know, in my mind, it's still like a low number. We are definitely working on increasing it. I really would love to see bigger numbers that Peace by Chocolate would be hiring by the end of this year. And that's why we are expanding. I now, I, I started by asking you about your first name. I want to end by asking you about your last name. Oh, yeah. Because I understand when you came here, there was a bit of a kerfuffle, a bit of a snafu, a bit of something right. something happened to your name. Right. So, yeah. your, so your, your name when you were in Syria was... You were, you were actually the first one who asked me about that. Yeah, thank you. Because, like, you know, with the hundreds of interviews and podcasts that I have done, nobody asked me about that. But it's interesting now. My family original name was Hudhud. And that's H-U-D-H-U-D. H-U-D-H-U-D. When I went to the Canadian embassy, somehow the consul, he heard the name by Hadhad, by mistake. Mm. And he typed and I didn't know how he typed our last name. So we, seven members of my family, they are called, they shifted from being Hudhud to being Hadhad. H-A-D. H-A-D-H-A-D. So the Canadian consulate dropped the U's. Exactly. Which I don't know if you know about Canada, but we really like adding U's to words. (laughs) So this is very odd. Uh, Yes. It's really quite remarkable how no matter what obstacle has been put in your way, you have found the positive in it. You've rewritten the story of it. And I think that's just fantastic. One of the things we like to do on the VSP podcast is ask our guests if there is a charity. We, We like to make a donation in the name of our guests. So can you tell us the charity that we can make a donation to? Absolutely. I would love to uh, support the IWK Foundation. Uh, they are working with uh, in the healthcare field in, in Nova Scotia, and they are actually they opened a new building in Halifax. I would love to support these kind of organizations because in Nova Scotia they are very much needed to grow and to prosper. And they just actually the first uh, surgeries they have done are uh, kidneys implants for two Syrian uh, refugee kids. Oh, wow. They did the surgeries for them. So I I would love really to continue supporting them. Amazing. Now, also with VSP, the acronym VSP has many meanings. It could be um, very Steve Patterson. It could be (laughs) a very smart person. That's exactly like me. Exactly. Yes. Very Steve Patterson. (laughs) You mean yes. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that's the kind of one. Because I'm interviewing you today, uh, VSP for me means um, various Steve Pattersons. You never know which one you're going to get. All right. uh, what would you say your acronym for VSP would be? I'm putting you on the uh, spot here. Right. So uh, it would be for me um, a very special person, uh, vocalist, breathing piece, and a voice for Syrian people. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Uh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Tarek, for, for chatting with us today. And I can't wait until you're back in town next week and I get to try some of this. Oh, piece thank by you chocolate. so much. Thank you, Princess Diana, as you want <laughs> me to call you that's earlier. Right. Thank call you me so Princess. Much. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. And that's it. Our fourth episode of VSP is in the podcast books. Thanks again to our guests, Tarek Haddad, and special contributors, Jeremy Woodcock and Marta Chavez. If you want to try a piece of Peace by Chocolate and you can't get to Antigonish, Nova Scotia, they've just expanded into Sobe stores in Ontario this month. Be sure to check out Tarek's charity of choice, IWK Foundation, on the Never Sleeps Network website. We're actually taking a week off next week, but we'll be back June 6th with stand-up comedian Sandra Badalini, the driving force behind the Canadian Association for Stand-Up Comedians, an organization that aims to elevate stand-up comedy as a recognized art form in Canada. That's a good cause. Follow us at VSPPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and check us out on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Until next week, or the week after that, I'm Steve Patterson. But if I was a female, I would want to be Diana Francis. VSP is a Funny Patty Inc. and Never Sleeps Network production. Produced by me, Alex Ross, and associate producer Diana Francis. Written by Steve Patterson with Diana Francis, John Steinberg, and Jennifer McAuliffe. Edited by Joseph Ianni. With special appearances by Jeremy Woodcock and Martha Chavez. For more information about VSP and other great Canadian podcasts, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. And please follow our socials at VSP Pod and Never Sleeps Net. See you in two Wednesdays. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. 